0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 16 of the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams 22 at by C.A. Simmons and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. Uh, I want to thank the the few people that did follow at Night Sports Now earlier this week when I had that plea on Twitter because we were stuck on 666 followers and I did not want that to be a thing for very long. And as soon as I tweeted, you know, I asked people follow it right now. A lot of we got quite a few. I think like what was it, three or four people got us uh, over to the over the six seventy mark, I believe. So thank you to to those of you that did. We will no longer be cursed. Really feel good about that. Christian, do you feel good about that?
1: I do. We're at six seventy five now in Night now. So yeah. I also, I, that was just really good timing. Cause I sent the 666 thing to you as a joke. And then you were like, we need to deal with this. <laughs> and, uh, I, and, uh, I, I didn't even mention to you that I'd already written a story I was publishing the morning after. So that was just really good timing to get some new followers. right? It was,
0: <laughs> it was, yeah. And I, I did think it was very, it was imperative for us to take care of that and deal with it in, in due time. Um, and yeah, it was just happened to be good timing. Cause I know you had said you were going to write something. And I wasn't yeah, sure but when I'm, that was. But you do I've say that a lot. i been
1: saying that a lot. Like my, my actual rate for when I say I'm going to write something and when I actually end up writing it is probably like 10% at this point. At least with me, I just don't say I'm going to write anything and then I don't, like at least. No, that. you will like not, you will never say you're writing something and then you'll randomly be like, I've decided I have this idea and I'm
0: going to give it to you in like two hours. And I'm like,
1: Oh, and then like the next (laughs) day we have a KSN story.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just like, I'm kind of bored and I'm like, I have an idea of what to write. And that's where, that's where we go with it. But yeah. Night
1: Sports Now will be much more active once the season starts. I'm just kind of at the point where the pot, trying to come up with podcast content plus written content at this point in the Football cycle is difficult.
0: Yeah. Who knew that would be difficult, right? <laughs> um, but speaking of football, we, we have uh, some NFL draft recap that we're going to do on this episode. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we, we previewed the draft. And I, I mean, again, I think I talked about it during that. I definitely talked about it during that episode that I just love the draft and um, really enjoyed last weekend myself. And now I it's already Thursday. So like it, the week has passed and the draft is over and I'm just kind of sad now because I don't know. There's no more there's no more real like football stuff to look forward to in terms of college or NFL for a while. And now we're just hitting this period where I'm just kind of like, uh, oh, what do I do with my tel- what do I do with my time? What do I talk about? What do I write about? But anyway, we have some some NFL draft recap to do with UCF. And we're going to talk uh, a couple topics that branch out of that. And I think just like we did with the um, with the draft preview, we're going to go guy by guy, player by player and just talk about where they went if you know any surprises any anything that stood out to us and um, yeah we'll, we'll kick it off right away Uh rightfully so in our opinion I think in our opinion we both agreed on this before the draft Richie Grant was the first UCF player uh to be taken he was taken in the second round 40th overall to the Atlanta Falcons so a top 40 pick is um, you know that's that's pretty pretty good that's just outside of the first round Uh Christian I know we talked about this going into the draft but did, were you ultimately surprised that he was the first player off the board just after all the Aaron Robinson hype? Well, first off,
1: I just want to apologize for declaring at the end of last week's podcast when I was trying to predict the future that he would be a first round pick. <laughs> I was uh, eight I spots away that. from being correct. Yeah, I really, I was, I was getting so stressed because I didn't like. I felt, I felt like that was like I was just sort of having fun, but then like in the first round, I'm like, oh, well, if it actually happens, I'm gonna like ride that forever, and then yeah. it just didn't
0: happen. It but, could have. It felt like for I don't know for a while it did feel like he could sneak into the end there, but.
1: He, he went, honestly, he, like, of all the guys, I, there were some surprises that we'll get to, but of all the UCF guys, he was the only one that went, like, pretty much right where I was anticipating. Like, it felt like that was not a surprise. It felt like, and I've also felt like that was, like, he was obviously worthy of a, a top 40 pick. It wasn't the type of thing where I can complain and be like, oh, he should have been first round. I think he's going to be great in the NFL, but I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty much
0: perfect for where he landed. Yeah, and it's funny. I talk about how much I love the draft, but I think – every year I forget how much I hate Twitter during the draft <laughs> because it's just, I mean, more often than not, it's, it's fan, the fan bases of each team are, you know, they have their guys, they want their team to draft. And if they don't draft them, they throw a fit and talk about all oh, this players, a bust. So who is this guy? And so to see like Richie get taken um, in this just amazing moment for him in his life and the Falcons tweet out the pick and then have a bunch of Falcons fans in the comments, just, talking about how oh who is this this is a scrub blah 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 just having no idea what they were talking about that's a little disheartening but it happens with every pick of every round and that's just the way the draft goes I always just I always forget about it and then when it comes back up I get mad about it all over again um but yeah I mean did you did you see some of that same stuff because it was uh it was annoying to me
1: yeah I just this like we've talked about before like I don't really care about the NFL like outside of like I am a (laughs) I am a Chicago Bears fan which is a long story But other than that, I don't really like, like, I don't like, I just, it's whatever to me. So yeah, like, like for me, like the main appeal, because I'm such a big college football fan, the main appeal of the NFL is like watching guys I liked in college, whether UCF or otherwise, and just seeing what they do at the pro level. And I've realized that from an NFL fan perspective, because there are obviously a lot of crossover, but I'm realizing there are a lot of fans that are just NFL fans. Yeah. And for them, it's kind of like they know Clemson, they know Alabama, they know Ohio State. And then like when someone gets taken who wasn't from one of those three by their team, they're like, why didn't we take one of the 12 Bama guys still on the board? <laughs> it's just like, dude, yeah. shut up. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw a lot of that. It was dumb. And I, and I don't think that that would like. I can't imagine that would have like impacted Richie or any oh, other guy's no. day, it's just it's whatever it's you know you go and then you know next year on the Falcons when Richie's amazing and one of the best players in the defense pretty quickly they're all going to be like what a great pick
0: yeah <laughs> I was with him the whole time a bunch arms. of deleted tweets will be will be oh, yeah. there um but We've yeah all been just, there. The, the last <laughs> yeah we have all been there uh the last quick thing on Richie is just it's going to be interesting because you know he's being being drafted by the Falcons he's now in a division that it's a different quarterback landscape than it used to be. When it was, I mean, it was Drew Brees, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan for the Falcons, obviously, and then Jameis Winston at the time for the Bucks. But now it's uh, much different with Brady with the Bucks and Sam Darnold now in Carolina, and whatever is going to go on in New Orleans, whether that's Jameis or Taysom Hill or I don't know, Ian Book, maybe. Um, it's, it's different quarterback wise, but still, Richie's going to have to be. You know, he's going to have to cover a lot of really good tight ends, really a lot of really good receivers. And uh, I know he'll be up to the challenge. I'm going to hate the fact that the Bucks have to play against him twice a year for uh, for a while, but still really happy for him. And, and to be a top 40 pick um, after, you know, that story came out in the Orlando Sentinel that he had been questioning his role at UCF uh, after his freshman year. And, you know, to, to fight back from that. and Which is
1: remarkable since his freshman year included, like, him sealing the deal on the USF yeah. game. Like, he was really good as a freshman, but...
0: yeah. I mean... It's just it was it was very weird to read that, but um, glad that he he overcame all that and is now a top forty pick in the NFL draft uh, to a to a good a pretty good team in Atlanta. I think they're gonna be better this year. But we'll go ahead and move on. The second uh, second UCF pick in this draft was Aaron Robinson, third round, seventy first overall to the New York Giants. Um, overall, I think that's right about where we expected him. I, I know the the hype had us leading uh, like led us to believe that you'd probably be a second rounder and potentially even be taken ahead of Richie, but third round probably seems about right. Doesn't it? It's early third round.
1: Yeah. This is another one where it's just kind of like, yeah, like <laughs> like that pick happened. I was like, that makes sense. Like I didn't really have any, yeah. Like we talked about a little bit, like he had like, first off, I, this would have confused me like three months ago. Cause I still didn't even really see him as like a draft prospect going into yeah. the draft, which but great for him. I mean, I, I think he'll do good in the NFL, but yeah, no, that felt about right. I, I, I was going to, listen, like we want to see as many UCF guys taken as possible. Like I yeah. wish that they'd all been taken, but I, it just sort of feels right that Richie went first. Cause it always felt a little dirty to me that people were sort of putting Aaron Robinson ahead of him in mocks after everything that Richie had done for UCF over the last four years. Yeah. So, I was okay with that order.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I couldn't help but laugh because I think you and I, we alluded to this back when we talked about the draft, but talked about how he was an Alabama transfer, and then, of course, on, you know, on the draft broadcast, Eddie had to mention that, and I think it was up in a graphic. It just said something about transfer from Alabama. They mentioned it immediately. Like, it was
1: like, and Richie Grant, or not Richie Grant,
0: and Aaron Robinson out of UCF, and also Alabama. Yeah. it's like, guys. (laughs) Like, no, he doesn't count. I don't think he counts as an Alabama as an Alabama UCF, because Alabama really Alabama. needs it. They had no guys yeah. taken this year, so they right, need to right, take right. credit for our guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they even they even remember Aaron Robinson at Alabama. I would be, I mean, I would be kind of surprised if they did. But I don't know if they remember two at Alabama at this point. <laughs> that's very true. Um, but yeah, I think at third round seventy first overall seemed about right. And and to go to the Giants, who I think, as far as I know, need wise they they just, they need some help in the secondary. So yeah, I think he has a chance to to make an impact pretty early and. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting because I think they talked him up a lot about how he can play both in the slot and outside. I thought, you know, going into the draft, he was being praised a lot more for being, you know, a, a really good slot guy. But yeah, and I suppose to to have that versatility to play outside also that will only help him at the NFL level, and uh, we'll we'll see how that goes for him. But he he's to the Giants, third third round, seventy first overall, and then things got a little bit I don't want to say weird, but I guess kind of weird. Um, I think we all expected Tay Gowan to go to the third UCF player taken, uh, third player off the board from UCF. And we'll get on to him in a little bit. But the third player was actually Jacob Harris, who went in the fourth round, 141st overall to the LA Rams and uh, taken as a tight end, I think. What about that? Yeah,
1: congrats to tight end Jacob Harris on making it to the NFL, <laughs> which of course I tweeted like, I forget exactly what I said. I tweeted something about, of you know, UCF sending so many receivers to the NFL, another wide receiver. And then immediately after that, the Rams are like, congrats, hey, shout out to our new tight end. And it's just like, (laughs) oh, okay. I mean, sure. That that to me sort of proved beyond all doubt that Harris basically got completely drafted off of projectability. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, so and great for him. I I did not think he was going to go that high. I think when we, it, you know, corrupting Vermont, I thought I was talking about him like fifth or sixth or later when we were talking about him. On I the
0: draft. think so. And then when, like, when I was reading off the the few mock drafts I looked at, I think one of them or two of them had him in the fourth round. And I think we even made a comment at the time where we were like, that seems a little high, but apparently they were right, you know, <laughs> fourth round. And yeah, I think a, a lot of it is based off of projectability and, just the, this, I mean, he has the size. It's so a very obviously does. And, you know, he had some of the production last year, obviously, but I think the those troublesome drops that just seem to pop up from here, here and there, Um, those were always frustrating. And I guess that's the kind of thing where NFL teams will just say, Hey, you know, get to work on the jugs machine and, and, you know, get your hands better. Um, Cause and, I'm sure he's
1: never tried that before. Yeah,
0: so. exactly. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're, what the plan is there but i guess too the, the size thing if they drafted him to play tight end i think i saw on the broadcast i think it said tight end and then they said tight end themselves but then i think when people were reporting on it they were saying tight end/wide slash wide receiver um so i guess I, he could play i guess they'll probably use him in both both roles but i mean i don't know i i don't know looking back was he a great blocking receiver cuz i guess that would that would help his case as a tight end too um in that rams offense but yeah, I mean, I, I good for him. I just am a little, it's still a little taken aback that he's he's a guy that, and I guess it makes sense just based on the NFL and what they do with, you know, its size rules in the NFL, but, you know, you look at a guy like Marlon Williams and the production that he had over his career at UCF and to have a guy who had one pretty decent year, just be taken in the fourth round. It was, uh, you know, I, I guess you can't say it was surprising because we did talk about it, but it's still just like oh it confirmed our our thoughts and it was just like ah that's still kind of weird yeah it wasn't surprising it still just bothers me and I'm not bothered that Jacob
1: Harris got taken I mean that's great for him and it's great for UCF I mean the more receivers that they can keep putting in the NFL the bigger of a pitch it is for recruiting and we're going to talk about that later but it was more just that in juxtaposition with Marlon not getting drafted just yeah. I just didn't like that. I just, it's like, at what point, and I know I said this on the draft preview, but it's like, at what point do you just have to stop looking at pro day stats and start looking at what actually happened? I mean, I just don't understand how Jacob Harris is a, a comfortable NFL draft pick. I mean, fourth round yeah. and Marlon Williams is not considered. I, I just, I don't get how that, and I, I like, I, but like I say, no, it's, oh, it's size, this size, that NFL is all about size, whatever. I mean, I, Marlon Williams isn't tiny. I mean, he's not like
0: yeah. I mean, the a dude's, guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I just don't get especially when you watch his style of play. I mean, his ability to pick up yards after the catch is just yeah. absurd. I mean, that he had two different plays in his career where he basically stumbled for 20 yards. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, and I think, and I honestly like, and I'd said from the start, like, just get on as an undrafted free agent, you'll make it. I think he's gonna make it. It's too bad he's walking into Well, we're gonna get to Marlon. I don't want to make a joke. we'll get to Marlon. We'll get, but uh, him. yeah, I mean, g- good for Jacob Harris, it really helps the ECF brand. I'm still just sort of confused, but. And I guess, you know, you look at like you look at photos of like when they took photos together of, Pro day of the receivers and he is like twice the size of <laughs> anyone else. Like They just look at that and they're like, we can work with some drops. But yeah,
0: I mean, you, know. you, you look at him, you're like, oh, he looks like he could be an NFL receiver. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess it makes sense. And, you know, in that way. But I kind of want to go back a little bit here. And and so the, the obviously Richie and, and Aaron went on the, uh, day two of the draft and then going into day three, you know, they, they start day three on Saturday around noon. And I'm watching the like the right before, you know, the I don't know, not the kickoff. What is it called? Whatever. Right before the draft, they were just talking about breaking down like the best available guys. Um, And I think both Todd McShay and Mel Kiper had take as one of their, I think, maybe top five uh, best available players. And in terms of corners, I think he was their number one or number two best available corner. So it was like, oh okay like, you know, he didn't get taken in the third round, but, you know, he'll probably he'll probably go sometime here in the fourth. Well, the fourth goes by, he doesn't get taken. The fifth goes by, he doesn't get taken. And we're, you know, pretty deep into the sixth round, I think it was. And we're just like, when is, when is someone finally going to take him? And finally, sixth round, 223rd overall, uh, and goes to the Arizona Cardinals. And I was just the whole time floored at the, by the fact that he wasn't taken earlier.
1: I could feel my mental health deteriorating <laughs> as the picks went by. Cause it was just, especially when he started tweeting, like he was tweeting stuff like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. 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 And I'm just like someone for the love of God, just trapped this guy, yeah. which I mean, I don't know what you chalk that up to. I, it, maybe it was a little bit. Of, I mean, he didn't play last year. I mean, he opted out, which you can debate all day. I know a lot of talking heads had about whether that's fair to hold that against him or not. I don't think it's fair in his case, given the circumstances where he opted right. out because he had a premature born child. I feel like if there was ever, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I like, I feel like you're definitely, and I don't know if this is what happened or it's why he dropped. It could be something totally completely else, completely different. Um, but wow, I just really flubbed that sense. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, but if that is why I just feel like at some point, like, I don't know if I want a guy on my team who would put football before like his daughter, <laughs> like I, I so. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't yeah. know why
1: that seemed to be a thing, that, and, and I and you and I mean it didn't hurt the top guys. I mean you had like Jamar Chase who yeah. didn't play, and if it was if just overall. like if overall. So and it's, it, it definitely did seem like it was more of like the mid tier guys, and it was more than just take on where you saw guys who opted out or was just kind of like, ah, eh, we don't know how committed you are to the sport, which is so stupid. But yeah, the point is he got his chance. He's in the league, and hopefully he can go make a name for himself now, and he can be one of those guys where in a few years you're looking him up and you're like, he was a sixth round pick,
0: right? Yeah, and that's the thing is like. He gets his chance and and he got taken. And I know the, as of right now, I guess it's, it's obviously more beneficial to be taken earlier in the draft money wise. And in terms of all that, so it it sucks to see him drop that far, but yeah, he's gotten his chance. And I do wonder a little bit if it's maybe it is some of the stuff where it's okay. He opted out and they're questioning that. But I think more, more of the fact that he opted out is that they had no tape on him from last year. And then before that, they only had 2019 tape from UCF. And then, Mm -hmm. He was Juco before that. So I think maybe the lack of a lot of a lot of tape to watch of him, and they're just not sure 100% of what they're getting, if that's why teams weren't. But it was just weird because they to see all these guys talk about, you know, him being the best available corner for almost, I don't know how many picks it was, and then just corner after corner was going ahead of him. I was like, what? I was like, what? I just didn't get it. And it's one of those things where I'm just curious to know, you know, if I was in – any of the any of the team's war rooms at the time just like curious to know if his name even got brought up and if they were like if they thought okay maybe we should take him and then they didn't and I want to know why they didn't it was just weird it was a weird situation and to see him fall as far as he did after I mean a lot of a lot of the draft media was really really high on him and some of them you know had him pretty comfortably in the third round I think I saw even some that had him in the second round pro football focus had him as their fifth best corner in the draft which would have put him I think in first or second round territory uh if it was going off of that so yeah i mean just to see him go 223rd overall um near the seventh round it was uh it was confusing that's you know that's the best way i can put it but you know yeah he's gotten his shot now and you know he did uh he did pretty boldly say that he was going to be the tom brady of cornerbacks and which you have wow to...
1: that's quite a uh
0: <laughs> it is it's it's quite the statement but i think in his case you have to love the confidence with with that and he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder. There's no doubt about that. Cause you could just tell that, you know, obviously he thinks, you know, he's, he's got a lot of confidence in his play um, and what he can do at the NFL level and and to, to drop that far. And I'm sure it wasn't necessarily a fun, I'm sure it wasn't a fun experience to just kind of sit there and keep waiting and waiting, especially when all these guys are probably telling you, you're going, you know, third or fourth round, but yeah, I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder because of that. And I think you're right. I think in a couple of years, we might, we might look back and, I mean we'll know cuz we'll be keeping up with him cuz he's a UCF guy but people will will come to know his name and then wonder, "Oh, when did he get drafted?" and find out that it was in the 6th round and be pretty pretty uh shocked by that. But yeah, and I mean you look, I mean what you said about like, you know, media hyping him
1: up or whatever. I mean, we see that every year. Yeah. where with guys where it's like cuz it's like you said like when I was going in the draft room. I don't think at any point teams are like, "Well, who does Mel Kuiper think we should take?" Right. <laughs> so, I'm sure that played a role because you know teams have their guys and yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what led to it, but he's
0: got a shot, you know? Yeah. It did was just care, weird. Was it was like... weird for there to be that much of a disparity between, you know, I know teams have their guys, but also for a, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but I think it usually lines up a little bit and for him to drop as far as he did. Um, that's a, that's a pretty big, pretty big difference in, in evaluation, but him getting selected in the sixth round uh, tied the UCF record for most players uh, drafted in a, in a single draft and as the fourth player and then the record was set in the seventh round Trey Nixon was taken 242nd overall by the New England Patriots and I think I said on this podcast that I, I thought he would get drafted I definitely told some of my friends that he's getting drafted and they did not believe me and I felt really vindicated when he got drafted and now the I mean he's getting uh he's getting some publicity in terms of I, I think I can't remember who it was I think it was Lance Zerline of NFL.com was talking about how he could figure into the Patriots plans like early on like right away and work as their slot guy this year. Um, And I guess they just like him that much and and he could be a they said he could be a diamond in the rough that the Patriots found. Um, So I mean definitely a lot of expectation I think already being put on him as he heads to New England but were you surprised at all he got taken.
1: Like mildly, I, I, I didn't think it was going to be a big surprise if he was taken. I, yeah. It, one thing that didn't, we didn't really talk about the draft preview that I do feel like hurt him but can benefit him long term is like, you know, he just didn't, he was out for most of 2020 yeah. and I don't think he's a seventh round pick if he played a full season. I mean, his really, his one healthy game was Georgia Tech and he what, had, two touchdowns
0: yeah, <laughs> and like,
1: I don't even remember how many yards he had, but he had a great start to that game. And and then he got hurt. And then he came back. And by the time he was back, I think his first game back was Cincinnati. And by then UCF was in crisis mode.
0: Yeah. And I think they, just to, I think we might've talked about this, but I think it says a lot about him. I think that he did come back at all. Cause just how much yeah. of a, how much of a season, like how much of a shambolic season that ended up being just in terms of COVID and then the, just losing a bunch and, and he's dealing with this injury that he suffered was it was in the first game, right?
1: He yeah. It was in game the first early, half. Yeah. The
0: first half. And, you know, he was out for a while and then towards the back half of the season, it would have been easy for him to just say, you know what, I'm going to rehab it. I'm going to go focus on the draft prep, but no, he came back and then, yeah, I mean, he, it, it's pretty cool that, that he did that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to see him get drafted um, in the seventh round, especially by, by, uh, by the Patriots, you know, the Patriots, I don't know. Bill Belichick has, I think an, uh, confusing reputation in terms of the draft because, you know, everybody looks at Bill Belichick as this genius and he's made some amazing picks over the years, but lately their drafts haven't been as good. So it's kind of a weird where some people are saying, Oh, like, obviously Belichick, like he knows something, you know, Nick is going to be special. But then if you look at their last, you know, his history of the last few years, um, isn't the greatest, but still, I think it's, it says a lot um, that, you know, he's, he's being taken. He's going to new England where I think he's going to have a chance to, to really succeed right away.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think. that, And one thing about this is the last I mean, this is we had two drafts in a row where UCF only had one guy taken. It. it was Tristan Hill in 19 and Gabe Davis in 20. And it, like I, it's going to be fun next year because like from my perspective, at least as like a fan that isn't really that much of an NFL fan, like mm. there's a lot of potential guys from UCF who could factor in next year. Like you yeah. know, I'm not just all in. I'm like, I hope Gabe Davis has a good season because that's our one rookie. Like, there's a lot of different avenues here, guys. We talked about Trey Nixon could, you know, factor in right away for the Patriots. I think Richie and Aaron Robinson both will factor in for their respective teams. We'll we'll see about Jacob Harris and Take Allen. But either way, it's just and Marlon Williams. But there's just so many options of guys. That yeah, could pop off. You just never know. And that's what what's really great for. And I know we're gonna talk about when we wrap up here, um, with these guys. But just UCF's brand. I mean, not just putting guys in the NFL, but then like Gabe Davis. I mean, it's like how many. If UCF can keep this train going of their receivers having great careers at UCF, then heading to the NFL and doing great at the NFL, I mean, I know we've got Gabe Davis right now, Traquan, Brandon Marshall before them. I mean, it's I, I think that's when you really get into uh, some interesting uh, brand building possibilities.
0: Yeah, and, and the last thing I want to say on Trey Nixon because this is actually he's gonna he's gonna have some attention on him because uh, there's a, a guy who was in the Patriots organization and in, in, in the NFL for a long time, I think it's said over four decades. Um, who was involved in and in drafting a lot of really, really good players. This was his final draft. And, you know, his final pick overall was Trey Nixon and uh, Bill Belichick even told Trey on the phone that, you know, this guy, Ernie Adams, that he selected him personally. He personally selected Trey Nixon. Um, and that was his last, his last pick, you know, as an NFL uh, front office guy. So that's, uh, that's putting a lot of expectation, a lot of, a lot of hype on you um, for, for a guy who had the kind of career, that Ernie Adams did in the NFL, um, you know, and scouting and, in, you know, selecting players. Um, so now the Trey's got to go out and, and be the last guy to, to kind of prove uh, to fur- further cement Adams legacy. So a pretty, pretty, pretty cool thing. Yeah. No, no pressure at all. But yeah. And I think uh, even Julian Edelman, who I think himself was a seventh round, maybe a sixth round pick. Um, he was, he was uh, hyping up Trey Nixon as well on his Instagram. I think he posted about the pick and said something about something about those seventh rounders. So, yeah, I mean, I think of, of a lot of these guys, out of, out of all these guys, I think Trey has been getting, um, you know, a lot of like a lot of attention and a lot of guys saying, oh, he's going to be a, a gem. He's going to be a sleeper to, to watch out for. So, you know, great for him. And, and another, again, another transfer, um, you know, who, who did well at UCF and is now in the NFL. And uh, so that was it for the draft. UCF set a new school record for five players being taken in a single draft um And then, you know, post draft, we were kind of expecting the remaining guys to sign undrafted free agent deals, and we'll, we'll talk here um, about about those guys. Marlon Williams, he signed an undrafted free agent deal shortly after the draft with the Houston Texans. um Again, it was disappointed to see him not get drafted, but like we we kind of referenced a little bit earlier, he's got the opportunity now, and I think he's going to make the most of that. Yeah,
1: I think I absolutely think he will. I he was one of those guys. Where I'm just like, just get on a roster, man. Just get on a roster. I mean, he'll he'll wow people in camp i feel confident in that I, he's really freaking good like and and it's just i it's just i hate how much size matters and stuff like this because it's like he was by far the best receiver for ucf yeah. this year like one of the best receivers ucf has maybe ever had i mean and two guys behind him in the depth chart got drafted and he didn't <laughs> one yeah. guy who was known for his inconsistency and another who missed most of the season so it's just <laughs> kind of like it's frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if anyone ever tries to tell you that, you know, projectability isn't a big thing, then point to this as an example, as, you know, evidence against that. But yeah, it's the thing is, is both Jacob Harris and Trey Nixon are probably more of your prototypical sized you know, NFL receivers. And Marlon Williams is like you said earlier, he's not small. He's just, he's just a different build, a different type of receiver. And, you know, yeah, he, he plays the game differently. And, and I don't know why, you know, a team didn't see that in the draft and say, you know, we could use this kind of impact on our team because, I mean, like, again, like just, just put on the tape and watch what he did at UCF, watch him make catches, you know, a, a seven yard, seven yard catch. And then he just turns it into 25, 30 yards because he, he's dragging guys running guys over and just not, you know, stumbling, not going down. Um, obviously that's a huge part of his game. And I think, like he said, you know, now they had he got on the roster. He's got a chance. It's just, I, I mean, obviously he had to make a decision, best decision for himself. I'm just curious if, do, you, do we know if he picked the Texans over anyone else? Like, do we know if he had multiple teams coming after him? Because the Texans just. I he didn't. Yeah, because the Texans, the Texans are kind just of seem a mess like right now. The absolute worst landing spot for a receiver to go right now. Because, you know, obviously all the, the allegations around Deshaun Watson and even before those, he wanted out anyway. And they don't really have a plan in place for the future. You know, they talked about it a little bit over the weekend, just the Texans having to try to kind of plan for not having Watson play this year. And they drafted, was it Davis Mills? Were they the ones that got Davis Mills from Stanford, I think in the third round. Um, so they don't really have an answer at quarterback right now. And as an organization in general, the Texans are just, they don't have the best the best history of, you know, anything, I guess. Um, so it's tough. It's tough for, uh, for Marlon. He's, I guess, kind of got an uphill climb with the quarterback situation and all that. Um, but, you know, I, I think even still, he has a chance to be a bright spot uh, on that team. If he can get, if he can do well in, in mini camp and he can do well in training camp and the preseason, if he ends up finding, finding a way onto the roster, I think he could be another guy that um, people are looking at. Like, how did this guy go undrafted? Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah. I mean, I he, I'm confident.
1: I, I would be more confident if it wasn't the Texans, but I am yeah. confident
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: that uh, he can have a good NFL career. So I hope it works out for him. Otis and Greg, like, uh, I'm not surprised that Greg McRae. Uh, they neither of them are got contracts yet. Yeah, I'm not surprised about Greg. I'm pretty surprised about Otis.
0: I am too. I actually, I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm very surprised about Otis just because of the versatility and his ability to play, you know, both he in the receiver slot and then in, um, in the back out of the backfield and also, you know, as a kick returner or a punt returner. I, I thought a guy like that. You, we saw uh, plenty of those kind of guys get drafted. Um, even if they were, you know, quote unquote undersized and I'm so that's why I'm surprised that shortly after the draft, we didn't see Otis's name pop up as somebody getting a contract. But, um, yeah, with Greg, I'm not as surprised. I think we, we both were just kind of hoping he would get drafted, hoping he'd get a contract. But, and of course, this doesn't mean this was I was going to get onto is that this doesn't mean they're not going to get contracts and they're not going to sign anywhere. Um, of course. Cause you know, they're still out there. And as long as they're still, you know, trying to, to get into the league, they have a chance. But um, I, I was looking at, I think it was on Twitter after uh, the draft ended and the Bucks GM was talking to the media and he was talking about undrafted free agency and, you know, filling out the roster and stuff. And he said, I don't know if this is for, for every team, but he said specifically for the Bucks that um, this year was a little bit different in terms of filling out the roster and, you know, the, the undrafted free agency um process and even just the process of you know getting any other unsigned guys that are you know more of the veteran stature that filling out the roster in general was going to take a little bit more time like two or three more weeks after the draft so maybe if that's a thing that's that's existing for other teams across the uh, across the league maybe that's why we'll see you know a couple weeks we'll see otis and potentially greg sign on somewhere obviously we hope they do um because again like I, i think Otis has a chance to make an impact just because of his versatility and, you know, his skill set, um, And then Greg McCray, I think is, the, he's the kind of guy that he's a walk-on obviously. And, and he's, he's fought for everything he got at UCF. And I, I think he still obviously carries that attitude and would still have that chip on his shoulder going into the NFL, but I guess we'll just, that's a kind of a wait and see situation right now.
1: Yeah. I, which, my thing is like, okay, Greg, come be a grad assistant to UCF now. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I would be all for having him come back to UCF. But um, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll, we'll see where they go and, and what, they, what they do going forward. But, um, you know, we're, we're kind of going to wrap up this draft talk and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting because um, Christian had that piece go up on Night Sports Now earlier this week um, talking about, you know, the, how this draft class came at such a perfect time And yeah, I mean, I just think overall, Christian, what do you think is this impact, the impact that this kind of class is going to have on the recruiting cycle now and into the future?
1: Well, as I talked about in my story, I like the main thing to me is that UCF has already had like all the boxes checked for recruits over Florida State, Miami, a lot of power fives, which is UCF wins a lot of games, UCF um, you know, they go to New Year's Six polls, they win near Six polls, they win conference championships, they have top 25 seasons, like everything on the field is there. And off the field, you've got this absurdly passionate fan base, you've got this great stadium atmosphere, you've got facilities that are way above the rest of the group five level. The one thing that was kind of missing, and it wasn't totally missing because UCF, UCF has put guys in the league, but that was like the last thing that the Miamis and Florida states of the world could really hold over UCF in recruiting it was like, well, we can send you to the league, you know, you'll go pro if you go here which Florida state that's that trains ending for them soon. Cause now we're at the point where there are kids who are committing this coming year, who just were like children when they were last good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and Miami has just not been good in like 20 years. So, and now that UCF has added the layer of that, of that they're putting all these guys in the NFL, that's big to me, but I want to say there's one very specific thing about this class that I think is big for UCF in the era we're moving into in college football. And I actually didn't mention this in my story. Cause I want to talk about it here on the podcast, but of the five guys UCF got drafted, four of them were transfers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Aaron Robinson. Obviously, he came from Alabama. I don't know if you do that, Bailey. I don't know if anyone's mentioned that to you. Um, <laughs> Never. Jacob Harris came from Western Kentucky. Tate Allen was a Juco guy. Trey Nixon came in from Ole Miss. And they all went to the league. And I, we're moving into this era now where the transfer portal and transfer guys are going to be everything. I mean, we're moving into the era of free agency. We're already seeing that. Gus Malzahn has used that already, bringing some guys with him from Auburn who are going to be playing next year. And if UCF can become the team that is not just going to say, look at the guys we got drafted, but specifically with transfers, guys who maybe feel like they aren't cutting it at the power five level or expected to play right away and happen or whatever. And we can come back and say, Hey, look at all these guys, this growing quickly growing list of guys who transferred into UCF and ended up going to the NFL a year later. Like that to me is like, or within a couple of years. I mean, that, that to me is a really, really big pitch just because of the way we're moving college football. I mean, I think we're going to get to this era eventually where like, the recruit, Your base recruiting class, the guys you bring out of high school, it, that's not the most important part of your class anymore because now every offseason you're going to see tons of guys in the transfer portal, guys switching around, and that to me is where you can become immediately good, and I think that's going to be – because the other thing now is since players know they can transfer immediately, like there's nothing to stop a player from being like, oh, you know, I got this off from Clemson, I'm a three-star, I don't know if I'm good enough to make it there, but I'll go for a year and try. Yeah. And then if, and then if I, I'm, I'm not hacking it, I'll transfer out. So I just think we're going to see way more transfers at all levels of the sport. And if UCF can become the team, that's like, come here as a transfer and we'll put you in the NFL. I mean, you can basically be first in line for a lot of those guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's huge. And I think to see it already in terms of, I, I know, I think UCF may be a little bit ahead of the curve on this is to have four of these guys already putting them in the NFL and like you said, it, it's getting bigger and bigger with this. It's almost like free agency. I mean, we saw it earlier in the earlier in the offseason when McKenzie Milton transferred to Florida State. Because I think, I don't even know, I think Norvell might have even said, you know, they're going to try to get some more guys to come and join him um, through the transfer portal. And I don't know, I don't know all the ins and outs, and I don't know how much they've, they've done in terms of uh, getting those guys. But yeah, I mean, it's just the, those, that's the way that this is going. That's the way programs are going to start approaching things and you're you're totally right about the the other thing too with you know if if this guy thinks oh let me go give it a give it a shot go you know play away from home for a year especially yeah especially for the florida guys like they're going to go try to play for a big program somewhere and then they find a year in that they're not happy they'll say okay i'm going to go home and play you know at ucf and that's where yeah again the ucf pitch comes in where you can say you want to go to the draft we get these guys into the draft and like you said with too with with the way with the way malzons already recruited some guys some of his guys and some other guys um that were transferring out of their previous schools i think some of those guys we could even see them you know i don't know if next year or the year after you know a big cat bryant kind of comes to mind first is i wonder he's, if yeah he's an nfl he's a future nfl with pick, possibly so i think it's it's only the start of of this kind of cycle for uh or this trend for ucf and it's just i think it's it's huge going forward especially as we potentially move into a time like we talked about last week where they're going to potentially expand the playoff.
1: And the other thing I'll add is, as I talked about my story, Malzahn is shooting for the moon with a lot of Florida guys. I mean, we saw just today, there was a four-star that UCF's in the top six for. One of the top five players in the nation, apparently is taking an unofficial visit to UCF later this summer. Like they're shooting for the moon with some of these guys, guys that previous coaching staffs would not have even talked to. Cause it's like, yeah, what's the like, point? Why, why bother? <laughs> But I want to caution fans a little bit because I I was looking at some recruiting stuff and I've been pretty on the record that like, I'm not saying stars don't matter, but they only matter to an extent. I mean, Richie Grant was the lowest rated guy in UCF draft class in 2016 and became one of the most impactful players in years for UCF. Yeah, I just, and I know that people say, oh, well, most of the time it's, well, most of the time it's really not accurate. I think five stars it is like it's hard to sort because five stars are the elite of the elite and the guys they're ready to go right away. So most yeah, of guys, damn, it right.
0: seems, it seems it's rare for a five-star to not pan out. The one, yeah. the one that comes to mind, I think is like Blake Barnett. that I'm thinking of ever recently. Former, he was a five-star right?
1: USA. Yeah. He was a five-star and he bounced around. I mean, it happens. I mean, it happens to yeah. anybody, but it does seem like five stars are the one where it's like, okay, four stars, it's a crap shoot. I mean, UCF's most recent four-star before Titus was Cordarian Richardson. He had to transfer because he ended up being like fourth in the depth chart. Yeah. I mean, so before I was, before that some, it was Tristan Payton, right? Yeah, yeah, Tristan yep. Payton was the last one before that. So, And I'm not trying to say like, oh, Titus is going to be a bust. Titus seems awesome. I can't wait to see what he can do. Yeah. But I was looking at some – because I'm just trying to figure out how – because the other thing I want to caution is UCF may be in all the top sixes and whatever for these guys, and that doesn't mean they're going to come here. I mean, UCF might have to go have some more on the field results with on before these guys are willing to commit their futures here. So I was looking at some top, UC, top classes. So the top 10 AAC classes ever since the conference formed by 247's rating system, UCF which has definitely been the best team in the conference year in and year out their highest rated class on that list is eighth <laughs> so like I, I I just and the highest rated class ever is, is Houston's 2016 class which that class had that this is insane for an AAC team one five star and three four stars in that that's class yeah so
0: that was Ed Oliver because that's the, the only star. five star to ever commit to a G5 right
1: I don't know about that. I know a, as far as AAC, AAC yeah.
0: maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. It might be honestly,
1: but so let me just run you through how that played out that class. So in the next four years, Houston went 28 and 22 and uh, never <laughs> won a bowl game um, of those of that five star and three, four stars. There was Ed Oliver. He obviously was a fantastic player. He went on to be a top 10 pick. So like I said, five stars, hard to go on five stars. The first four star was Trendavian Dixon, who actually came from Baylor that year because that was when all the Baylor scandal stuff broke. So he switched at the last minute. He left before ever playing a game at Houston. He's currently at Texas Southern. Um, then it was Courtney Lark, whose best season was 35 receptions for about 500 yards and five touchdowns. He didn't go anywhere. And, uh, yeah, I asked, so I just, it's like, I, you look at that type of stuff and that looked great at the time. I remember the story lies at the time. It was kind of like what people are saying about Cincy now, like, oh, Houston is, you know, they're, they're building something here. They're, yeah. they're going to just outpace <laughs> the rest of the group of five based on their talent. And then you actually get the classes playing and it's like, oh, you know, re- recruiting's just kind of a crapshoot, and and yeah. the highest rated class isn't always the best class. So I just hope that UCF fans don't, if we get to the point where, listen, if UCF is getting some of these four and five-star guys, great. Because the other thing about the AAC is like, you get one five-star, congrats, you just had the number one class in the AAC. But mm-hmm. I think that's more useful, again, just from a feeding on itself perspective of you get that consistently and it starts becoming a narrative and you can build from that. than versus like, wow, UCF really needs these four stars and five stars to compete. Because that's not UCF's game, and it never has been. I mean, UCF has done what it's always done, which is Florida is just such a freaking deep state with talent. You can get these three stars that would be playing for Florida and Florida State if there weren't roster limits, but they just get overlooked, and you get them here, and it's, oh, wow, would you look at that? Who knew the three-star Gabe Davis is actually one of the best receivers in the nation, and so on, or two-star Richie Grant, yeah. and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, and you kind of go back even to the to the transfer thing, and, and Jacob Harris, I don't remember – what year he got here or like what, how I don't think there was much hype around him. Right. I mean, it, yeah, he, he was kind he of was an 2017. Yeah. He was just, he was, kind just, of an unheralded he, he was a walk-on
1: on at Western Kentucky. And then he transferred here. I mean, he was a nobody.
0: And now he's a fourth round pick in the NFL. So like, that's the thing with, with recruiting is you just, you don't really ever know outside of the five-star like the elite, the elite of the elite, you don't really know. So that is where it, it kind of gets to, you know, the recruiting talk has to get a little bit, uh, you have to pump the brakes on that a little bit, but still, I, I think, you know, UCF has has a bright future in terms of recruiting, just with the way this staff is going after guys and the pitches that they can bring to these guys. And and one more that you know UCF put out there today themselves, um, I think this is one that's obviously very useful. Is that Gus Malzahn is in the top ten in players drafted um, among active head coaches since 2014. He's had 38 of his players get drafted since 2014, which is top ten in the nation among active head coaches. So, you know, that's a pitch that that I think a lot of guys are going to, are going to, it's going to appeal to a lot of guys and Gus can go into living rooms and his staff can go to the living room and say, Hey, you know, Gus Malzon's gotten these guys, this guy, this guy, this guy, list off the guys to say, Oh, those guys are in the NFL. Now you want to go to the NFL, come here. So, yeah. And, and you can pitch the whole, you know, if you're going to go somewhere else to one of the, the top programs or the, the more uh, the more, what's it called? The more traditional powers Maybe you're not going to get the chance to to put to shine that you would, you know, at UCS. So I think that's the the kind of pitches that they're going to be able to, to bring to guys, and I think it can only lead to good things in the future.
1: Which I don't. I'm am i I'm going to critique your pitch here. I have no idea what Mazzoni's actually pitching. I don't think that should be the pitch. That and I hope that's not what they're pitching. though, like, hey guys, you should like. I don't think you should ever tell a player you're not good enough to be going to. Well, oh yeah, right. No. But I think like the the pitch can just be like like if malzahn says like look i put x however many guys it was in the nfl while i was at auburn and the family's response is like well you're at ucf then they can be like oh right ucf yeah only 10 teams got more guys drafted ucf this year yeah like it, I, like ucf's just gotten to a point where you can elevate ucf is like no not you should come here because those other teams you know make it like no we are one of those teams like this right. program is building to become one of those teams and you can come be a part of building it here and, that, and that's why getting guys drafted like this past year so. And I think they could have a big draft class next year. It's a weak year for quarterbacks. I could totally see Dylan Gabriel getting drafted, even though he's a little undersized. I think yeah. like big cat, Brian, like we talked
0: about, Kalia Davis, you have to think. And well, that's the- a couple that's guys the we're probably thing. not talking about right now or you haven't yeah. even heard of. Yeah, and that's the funny thing too, is I was, you know, mock drafts for 2022 have already come out and- I, I was I only saw, I only saw some first-round ones, and I didn't see Gabriel in the first round. But in one of them, I did see Desmond Ritter going in the first round. <laughs> and I was thinking, excuse Wait, me. Wait, what? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm being dead what? serious. I think he was like 22nd or something like that overall in the first round. And I was like, no way. What? I mean, he's a, he's a great college quarterback, and he you know has a chance to be to be good in the NFL. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't watched him enough to really know. But no. I just know that Dylan Gabriel's arm, he has an NFL arm. And if you're going to, you can't overlook that. I mean, just because, and cause he's what, he's roughly the same. Oh, he's not the same size as Ritter. I think I looked that up and debunked myself at the time, but still, yeah, no, I was surprised to see that, but I think I like what, just to wrap this up. I think Dylan Gabriel will be um, definitely in the conversation for, you know, uh, a day one or potentially a day two pick next year.
1: Desmond Ritter is not an NFL quarterback. He's barely an AAC quarterback. I'm sorry. He's okay, the most overhyped dude. He's so overhyped. Like the fact you know that he is, won AAC but... player of the year is just like, and that really bothered me at the time. Cause I'm not saying Dylan Gabriel should have won it, but it, it's like, I, I don't like that the AAC awards have just become like, well, let's just pick the team that had the best record. And we'll just give the awards to all their players. Desmond yeah. Ritter isn't that good. He just isn't. I mean, I, I just, I don't understand what I mean, of all the AAC teams that have gone to your six bowls, he's arguably the worst quarterback from any of those teams. So yeah. I just, I, I have absolutely no
0: idea how he would be a 1st round quarterback, but
1: great. If that's the case, then Dylan Gabriel's going to have no problem going like the second or third, if that's where we're starting yeah. from.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously all that stuff, we'll, we'll see how this season plays out and we'll see how uh, next next draft season plays out. But for that, we'll put a bow on the 2021 NFL draft. And of course, we'll be checking in on these guys throughout the NFL season. Um, and hopefully they're all, they're having a lot of success, but, um, with that, we'll go ahead and move into the new section and wrap things up, uh, as we normally do, uh, in terms of all sports, the, the big one is UCF's yard sale is on Saturday. Uh, i referenced this a couple of weeks ago when they announced it, but I'm going to be out of town, um, for mother's day. So I've charged Christian with, you know, finding me some good stuff. I sent him some money already, and, uh, now it's up to him to, to bring me some, some good stuff home. Christian, the the prices right. the prices are. Uh, I'm sad about the prices. Yeah, I was
1: um I did buy a helmet for 400 bucks at the last yard sale, which I think was 2018 or 2019, one of those years, I think it was, and uh, uh, yeah. and uh, they've raised the 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 helmets. They've raised the prices on the helmets to 600 this year, and that 600. is just outside of my pay range
0: so you know what they're doing they're taking advantage of, of the people who have that little extra stimulus money that can just say oh it's extra money that i can just throw away on well, not throw away but extra money that i can just use that i otherwise wouldn't have had on a ucf helmet and you know that's what yeah, they're doing Yeah, i'm really sad about that so now my new priority is to try to get a pewter jersey
1: if i can so that sounds uh, sounds like a plan to me. now
0: yeah no And and. Christian and I, I trust this is how much I trust Christian's like opinions on uniforms and on, on that kind of just finding good stuff. Cause I basically have given him a sum of money and I said, you know, whatever, I trust your eye, get me whatever you can get me um, with this money. So we'll see what he comes back with. I might have to report back on that next week, but. Uh, Christian, have, good luck. I have good your luck extensive and, list, and yeah. I have
1: Zach's list as well. Good
0: luck, and thank you acquire. for doing that for me ahead of time. Even, even if things go terribly wrong, I thank you for even trying to get stuff for me. Um, of course. Yeah. So uh, the other all-sports news is that the 2021 Charge On Tour has been announced, and um, it's a little bit more abbreviated this year, obviously, with uh, COVID restrictions and, and still just kind of being careful around that. But as UCF put it, uh, Gus Malzahn, Terry Mohajer, and, quote, more nights favorites will appear on the tour. Uh, they have stops in Fort Lauderdale on May twelfth, one on the Space Coast on five on May nineteenth, May and then one in Oviedo on May twenty seventh. That Christian and I are going to try to get to actually. So um, hoping hoping to see some people there, and, and if you see us come up, say hi. Um, and then they'll have one more in downtown Orlando at an August date to be determined. And I'm just really looking forward to this because I think years ago I was going to go to one of these in Tampa and I just for some reason ended up not being able to go. Um, but I think more, now more than ever, I'm just curious to hear from the leadership at UCF and just kind of hear um, what, you know, what they have to say. And, and I'm sure I'll, I'll leave, we'll walk away uh, a little more hyped up for a season that's still months and months away.
1: Yeah, I've never been to one. I'm really excited. This also is like the charge on tour coming back was one of my first real like, oh, the pandemic's really ending type things yeah. <laughs> like that we can get to that. So I'm really
0: excited. Yeah. I'm
1: really looking forward to it. The word
0: tour popped up and I was like, tour.
1: I know people it feels like such again. a normal
0: thing. Yeah, people are going on tour again. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, football wise, um, outside of all the NFL draft stuff, obviously, uh, former Knights linebacker Nate Evans was released from Jacksonville's practice squad earlier this week, and then pretty quickly signed with uh, the Seattle Seahawks. And also he graduated this week. So congratulations to him on getting his degree and, and graduating and also uh, starting a new adventure with the Seahawks Um, and in recruiting news. We don't do a lot of recruiting news here because there's just so much to get through all the time, but there's a, it's June's going to be a pretty big, pretty big month for UCF um, in you know, recruiting land. They'll have uh, a four-star safety and Missouri commit Isaac Thompson uh, coming to visit. As well as four-star hybrid safety Deuce Caldwell, and then as Christian alluded to earlier, there's a five-star defensive lineman who's, I think, the number one player in Florida and the number four player in the country, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy. He's coming for a visit. Um, who were the other teams that he was visiting? It was like Ohio State, Oklahoma, and I'm forgetting the other one, but it wasn't Ohio State. Oh, it wasn't was, Ohio State. Uh, was it Ohio State? I thought it was Ohio State, Oklahoma, and somebody. I know. Else. I think AM was on there. Oh, Texas A&M was on there. I think you're right. But just to be, and those were all unofficial visits. And I guess, like, obviously, he'll still go on to have um, more, you know, more official visits. And he'll have all these offers coming in, of course. But just to be in that early little, you know, class of official visits is pretty, pretty cool, pretty big for UCF. Uh, They also have three-star tight end Grant Stevens and three-star athlete Tyler Griffin uh, visiting in June. And for Griffin, UCF is in his top 10 already. He's already announced that. So, again, a big, a big month of recruiting for UCF is ahead. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. Men's basketball, a little bit of news, uh, Aubrey Dawkins, the former Knight, uh, he signed to play in the basketball tournament this summer. I had just, I've always thought it's funny that it's called the basketball tournament. Um, because it just sounds like the most basic generic name they could come up with, but that's pretty cool for him. Uh, it's a, ha- a tournament that happens every summer. Um, and UCF will play, uh, you know, in the 2021 orange bowl classic, they're supposed to play Florida state as part of that. I believe the other matchup they talked about was Florida versus South Florida. Um, So like Christian said, when he sent that to me over a text, he said, imagine if they did this in football and that just (laughs) blew my mind because that would never happen. Um, And softball, but if it did, Oh, if it did, (laughs) if it did, that would be just get some, get some kickoff weekend games. You know, the Florida teams playing each other, it would just be so much more fun, but the the power five Florida teams would never do it. Um, Softball. They had a tough weekend uh, at Ole Miss they got swept in a three-game series they lost eight to two on Friday and then lost five to four and 10 to nothing on Saturday uh, they're now 34 15 and one overall still 13 six and one in the AAC and fourth in the conference uh, but getting swept dropped them out of the rankings in uh, the d1 softball top 25 the USA today slash NfCA coaches poll and the espn.com USA today uh, USA collegiate softball top 25. They're uh, not ranked in all of those, and they're down to number 35 in the RPI. Uh, a bit of good news, though, Kira Klarkowski was named to the AAC's weekly honor roll. Baseball had a better weekend. Uh, they won three out of four against a Memphis team that I guess was not very good. Uh, they, they started the weekend, though, with a 12-2 to loss, and that was a game that I decided to go to. It spent my Friday afternoon, um, actually for like four innings or so, at uh, the complex over there. At John Uliano Park, and that was the game, of course, that they had to go in and, and get just dismantled in um, a tough start to the weekend. But right after that, they bounced back with a 12 to 10 win on Friday. Uh, then they won 13 to six on Saturday and 17 to five on Sunday. And they have finally gotten back to 500. They're 22, 22 and 22 overall. They're 12 and eight in the AAC, and that has them third in the conference. Alex Freeland had a big weekend. He just named the AAC Player of the Week after hitting 500 with four doubles, six RBIs, and six runs scored. Uh, men's soccer, they had a bit of good news and then a bit of bad news just before we started recording this podcast. Uh, the bit of good news, they won 2-1 to one against number 17 James Madison in the second round of the NCAA tournament on Sunday, advancing to their second straight Sweet 16. They had a, a goal in the fourth minute by Gino Vivi to open the scoring. JMU equalized in the 51st minute before Luca Dorado came right back with, with what ended up being the game winner in the 55th minute. Uh, that got them into the Sweet 16, uh, a game they played against number two national seed Pittsburgh on Thursday. And Pitt just took advantage of some some UCF mistakes. UCF lost 4-0 uh, to end their NCAA attorney run. It was just a frustrating because I had, I had the game on a little bit while I was working um, for the first 20, 25 minutes or so. And Pitt scored, I think, 23 seconds in off of a, a defensive error. On the back line, and then they did the same thing. And and in the first half, I think UCF outshot Pitt nine to three, and just happened so happened that those three shots for Pitt all found the back of the net. Uh, just a tough way to end the season. But UCF went from one and three in the regular season, or started the regular season one and three, and ended up winning the regular season championship in the AAC and the tournament championship, then went to the Sweet Sixteen. So I don't really have any complaints with this season whatsoever.
1: Yeah, no, this was a great year for them. I, I like, like I said, I'd be getting to Sweet Sixteen is huge, and it's unfortunate it had to end. That's why I like <laughs> college football because you can just go win a bowl and it's like, yay, happy ending. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that I that's it, it's good. That's unfortunate, yeah. but yeah, when you
0: come up against a team like Pitt, it's it's just always gonna be tough. But yeah, second straight Sweet Sixteen season, um, and just another really good year for for Scott Calabrese and his program. Um, men's tennis, they were named the number nine national seed for the NCAA tournament on Monday selection show which means they'll stay home for the opening rounds of the tournament, starting with the first round against Monmouth on Saturday. Uh, Gabriel DeCamps, he was into the NCAA Tennis Singles Championships as an automatic qualifier. And uh, Trey Hildebrand and Bogdan Pavel were also automatic qualifiers for the NCAA Tennis Doubles Championships. Uh, The rankings that came out ahead of these uh, tournaments was, uh, for the ITA rankings, the team is number 10. DeCamps is number nine in singles, while Juan Pablo Grassi-Mizzucci is number 93 in singles. And Bogdan Pavel and Trey Hildebrand were number five in doubles. Um, DeCamps was named the AAC Player of the Year while uh, on Thursday, while John Roddick was named the AAC's Men's Tennis Coach of the Year. And there were some guys on the uh, all-conference singles team, that's DeCamps and Grassi-Mizzucci. And then on the all-conference doubles teams, DeCamps and Hildebrand, the duo, the, that duo, and also the duo of Hildebrand and Pavel were named to the all doubles team. Um, women's tennis, they had their own share of, of accolades, and they were also named the number nine national seed for the NCAA tournament, which means they will also stay home to host the opening rounds of the tournament. They start with Charleston Southern on Friday. Uh, Valeria Zalevo is an, auto, was an automatic qualifier for the uh, singles championships herself, as was Rebecca Stolmar, though she earned an at-large bid. Uh, the ITA rankings came out ahead of their tournament. The uh, team is number nine. Zaleva is number 22 in singles, and Stolmar is number 38 in singles. Uh, Zaleva was named on Thursday the unanimous uh, AAC Player of the Year, while Brian Kanieko was named the AAC Women's Tennis Coach of the Year. So UCF just sweeping all the awards uh, in tennis. Kanieko was named the AAC tennis, uh, Women's Tennis Coach of the Year for the third straight season. So he's, uh, he's got a lot of, of honors himself. And then the all-conference singles team, um, UCF had four players, Zaleva, Stolmar. Ksenia Kuznetsova and Evgenia Levashova um, all made it to the all-conference singles team. Uh, men's golf, wrapping up, well, was a great story last week. Former knight Michael Visaki, he missed the cut at the Valspar Championship, but like we said last week, just a really cool uh, experience, a really cool moment, hopefully not his last uh, last appearance on the PGA Tour. Uh, and In current UCF men's golf news, Johnny Trevail and Clement Charmason were uh, unanimous all-conference selections. And Travail was selected to play in the NCAA Tallahassee Regional uh, later this month. Uh, Women's golf, they earned an NCAA tournament bid as a team for the seventh time in the last 10 seasons. They're playing in the uh, Louisville Regional next week. And Alyssa Lamoureux became the first active UCF golfer to qualify for the U.S. Women's Open in June. And she's the second night overall. So a huge congratulations to her. That's a huge accomplishment. Uh, Will be interesting to follow as she uh, heads to the U.S. Open and Women's Open in June. And finally, outdoor track and field, they posted six top 10 finishes on Thursday to open the UNF Invitational before posting seven top 10 finishes on Friday to close out the regular season. They have their uh, AAC tournament coming up here pretty soon. And speaking of pretty soon, we have the road ahead for just a select few teams that are still playing uh, in the 2021 spring season. Softball has a four-game weekend series, a huge one against South Florida at home. Uh, To close out the regular season, they'll play Friday, then a doubleheader Saturday, and then finish it up on Sunday. Um, And possibly by the time we're recording the next podcast, they might have already played their first AAC tournament game, because that starts next Thursday. Uh, Baseball, they have a four-game weekend series against Wichita State this weekend, looking to build off some momentum they created last weekend. Uh, They have a doubleheader Friday, and they play Saturday and Sunday. Men's tennis, like I said earlier, will start their NCAA tournament uh, first round with a, a first round matchup against uh, Monmouth on Saturday. And with a win, they would play on Sunday against the winner of Mississippi State in Miami. Women's tennis will open their NCAA tournament uh, journey on Friday against Charleston Southern. And if they win, they'll play in the second round on Saturday against the winner of FIU in Miami. And women's golf, they have the Louisville Regional Monday through Wednesday uh, for their to start their NCAA tournament run. Um, so again, like the, it's, it's weird. It's things are winding down and we're getting into may and, you know, by June, it seems like all these sports are going to be over with. And it's, it's just a, it's always a sad time to me just because everything's winding down and we have to hit the summer months where there's just less college sports to talk about. Um, but we'll wrap up here with the uh, Christian's uniform of the week. We'll run down the previous winners. Men's soccer is an absolute juggernaut. They've won it five times twice for the gray Pegasus and three times for the blackout. Women's basketballs won it once with their black jerseys. Um, baseball's won it three times, twice for the Pegasus and once for the Road Grays. And then football won it with the white, white, black they wore in the spring game. So Christian, I'm going to throw it over to you for your uniform of the week for episode 16.
1: Desmond Ritter had 19 passing touchdowns <laughs> all of 2020. 19. Dylan Gabriel had that in a five-game span. How many passing yeah, touchdowns did he have, That's not important. But what's important yeah. is that Dylan, Dylan Gabriel is a superior quarterback and I'm critical of Dylan Gabriel a lot more than oh, most we know, fans. but yeah, we do. But <laughs> Desmond Ritter is a first round quarterback. That is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard.
0: It was, like, it was silly to
1: me in a year. You all can come bring this podcast back to me with Desmond Ritter goes number one overall to the New York Jets, <laughs> but that is just the Jets I, I I just, the quarterback. Yeah. Cause they will have ruined Zach Wilson by then. Oh my um, gosh. I may not follow the NFL that much, but I do know how bad the Jets are. That's, that's um, true. Anyway, Shout on, out to, Evan. on to much more important things than Desmond Ritter. Uh, yeah, uniform of the week winner this week. <laughs> we are going back to baseball for their Skinner jerseys and hats. That, like, so for those of you who didn't watch, they had gold jerseys, which I guess were basically their old gold jerseys that they just sort of brought back out for this. But they actually look nice. And they had these really nice gold hats. It was with a black brim, right? Yeah. It, it just, I, UCF's been using gold less and less, and I have been largely supportive of that move. But that was an example of just like, I just really liked it. And it almost made me like, there have been a couple points recently where some of the, like the non main teams have been using gold. Well, like baseball and men's soccer with their black, blackout jerseys with the gold accents. And I'm just kind of like, maybe I'm just moving into a gold phase. I'm liking it more now. I don't ever want gold jerseys in football just ever. (laughs) That is just never a thing that should happen, but I don't know. You, it's a good accent color, and I'm glad teams are using it in a good way.
0: It was, it was cool because when I was out there um, on Friday afternoon, because it was like they basically, I think it was turning like basically the whole thing was uh, Joe Skinner weekend. It seemed like, um, which is really cool. I'm glad that they continue to to honor him and do that. Um, but for the first game on Friday, they wore they wore those gold hats with the black brims, but they wore the the black uh, the black jerseys that had the kind of the gold accent on that, and it looked good with that combo. But then they came out um, later that night. Or was it the next day? I don't remember. One of the one of the it games. Was the day, out, it was sure. the same day. Pretty sure. Same day. I think they came out with those gold jerseys and the same hats. And yeah, it, it looked really good to me. I really liked that a lot. And I think they said um, people were wondering about the hats. I think they said that there's a select a select amount, a limited amount available in the bookstore. Uh, I don't know if they still are, but that would be a, that would be one that I think I would pick up if I didn't already have so many dang hats in my collection. Um, but congratulations, baseball! that is their fourth uh their fourth win in uniform of the week and it's their third uh unique uniform so you know with with the set that they have it's uh it's not surprising to see them winning with a bunch of different uniforms um but we'll we'll go ahead and uh we'll wrap up here uh, i want to thank you guys again so much for listening uh to episode 16 in our nfl draft talk uh we'll be back next week for episode 17 and until then you can find us on twitter at baileyjadams22 at by C.A. Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Desmond Ritter is overrated. Bye, everybody.